When you're in a war with worry, it feels like you're never going to win. But it is possible to turn the tide and to find yourself on the winning side. We're talking about that today on The Truth and Our Trauma. Christian Counseling on the go? Sign me up. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that is available to you wherever you are and on your schedule. And we've partnered with them to bring you 10% off of your first month. To sign up and get started, go to getfaithful.com forward slash valor. I have never really shared publicly my lifelong battle with anxiety, but I feel very strongly the desire to share about this subject today because I know it is something that so many of us wrestle with and we are suffering in silence. We are suffering beneath the weight of this thing that maybe has followed you around your entire life and you don't know how you're ever going to get free. For me, this journey began all the way back in childhood. I don't even know that I could say that I remember a time where I didn't feel anxious. My parents could not watch the news with me in the room because I would instantly become afraid that whatever was happening on the news was going to happen right in my own backyard. I was the kid who had all sorts of really interesting rituals. (laughs) Um, I, I probably wouldn't say they were to the level of an obsessive compulsive disorder, but it has some of those types of traits, you know, where I was tapping, you know, one side would have to be, if I tapped one side, then I have to tap the other side just as many times or with just as much intensity. And then if I did too many on one side, then I have to go back and fix the other side. Or I couldn't step on the cracks. I had to step on the sidewalk concrete between the cracks. And that if I stepped on the crack, then I needed to make sure I stepped on the next crack. Everything had to be symmetrical. Everything had to be in balance. I would often have trouble sleeping. I was you know, first, second grade and couldn't get to bed before 10 o'clock because my mind would just race while I was sitting there in my bed. And sometimes it would be because I was legitimately worrying about things. And other times it was just I couldn't stop thinking about stuff. I could, my mind would just keep going and going and going. And on the surface, nobody knew this. On the surface, I looked like the happiest, most well-adjusted kid that grew up in a relatively normal family, you know, seemed to, and by, and by many cases, you know, people would probably have thought I had the perfect family and the perfect upbringing. And this was a thing, though, that just I could never shake. I never felt at ease. I never felt like everything was going to be okay. I was always worried about when was the other shoe going to drop. Yet, early on, I discovered that I had a lot of talents. (laughs) I discovered I had a lot of capabilities. And so I threw myself into controlling things that I could control by performance. I found ways to be the star student. I was in Girl Scouts and I had the most badges. I was the kid who was in high school. I was the captain of everything and the president of everything. And it was something that allowed me to manage that nagging worry inside by simply just not dealing with it, simply finding other ways to occupy the space in my mind. And this worked until it didn't. (laughs) You know, 
as I progressed through high school and got closer to college, I began to then have anxiety about my performance. I began becoming sick to my stomach to the point of vomiting, whether it was before a high school dance, whether it was before a track meet, a dance competition, something that to me had high stakes instantly just set off this storm of panic in my body. And then it got to a point of, oh my, not only am I not sure that I'm going to perform, but how am I going to cover up the fact that now I'm in the bathroom, like sick to my stomach, and people are going to be wondering where I am and what's going on. So right after high school was when I first started taking medication to deal with anxiety. I started taking a what's called an SSRI or a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, any of the, the medications though, that you've seen, for example, on television, I have tried a variety of them. And for a while, they helped to quiet some things down. You know, I was able to finish college without really dealing with a lot of those, you know, those anxious nerves. In all of this, I rarely went to counseling. There were a few times I went because something was just looming over me and I needed, you know, a way to talk through it and to figure out how I was going to handle it. But Overall, what the medications allowed me to do were go back to performing, go back to leaning into the ways I was dealing with my anxiety without dealing with my anxiety. And over time, you know, I, as I said, I tried a variety of different medications, but what I discovered was, you know, I wasn't feeling as anxious and the lows were not as low, but the highs were not as high either. I wasn't able to really enjoy the fullness of my life because I just sort of felt numb. So because of this and the weird side effects and all that kind of stuff, I was like, all right, I'm done with this. I want to be off this. I think I'm okay now anyway, so let me get off of these things. And as I was transitioning off of medication, I realized very quickly that I couldn't do life without them. I did not want to do life with them, and I could not do life without them. By this point, I had graduated from college and I had a good job and I was relatively successful. So I didn't really feel that need to perform and I didn't really have the avenues for it anymore. You know, there were not like clubs and all the activities and stuff that I had leaned into when I was younger. And I was actually in a time of relative peace, like things in life were relatively easy at that point. And so in this relative quiet I could not function for fear that the other shoe was going to drop. I could not enjoy any good thing that I now had worked for here. I'd worked for all this life that I had, and I couldn't even enjoy it because I was afraid it was going to be taken away from me. Maybe something of this resonates with you and your story, or maybe the story of someone who's close to you. It's not going to look exactly the same. You know, maybe some really rough, difficult things have happened and, and you're afraid of them returning or you're in the middle of them and it's just so difficult to see the way through. Or maybe it is that there's some good things that have come to you and you're struggling to even appreciate them because it just seems like the moment that you do, it's going to be snatched away from you. When you deal with worry like this at this level, you become 
paralyzed by the overthinking and the overanalyzing. You're constantly scanning the horizon, looking for threats, looking for something that might be trying to make its way into your life or that could potentially come on the horizon. And then you begin to plan against it and you begin to figure out how you're going to handle all of these scenarios that could pop up because you don't want to be caught off guard. But in this then, your choices begin to become limited. You begin to live less life because of the fear of what could be lurking around the corner or of having to confront something that you're really afraid of. So you stop going to certain places or you stop accepting invitations. You don't move towards things that otherwise could be really exciting to you because you're fearful of what could be underneath them. And when you're dealing with this, you're alive, but you're not living, right? That there's this prison now that you are trapped in, and it seems that there's really no way out. I mean, you're learning to to make the best of it and to manage things the best way that you can, but it feels like anything you have tried doesn't work, and that maybe this is just who you are, and maybe this is just the way your brain works, and maybe this is just the way that it is. But I want to imagine for a moment that maybe this is not the case. Maybe you are not at the mercy of your thoughts. You are not at the mercy of your anxiety. Maybe you can actually change it. And maybe you can actually start to feel like you are winning this war against worry. And I want to be clear here for a moment. You are in a war. You are. That is not overblown language that is absolutely spiritually grounded and founded. You are in a war and it is a war over you, over your mind, in your mind. And that's what makes this so difficult. It is a war that is within you. And that's why it feels like in order to to win this, I'm going to have to lose something. Something is going to be destroyed because this thing is in me. And maybe like in your in my case, it's always been in you. You don't know any other way. We have to be real for a minute too and recognize that worry is always going to try to come after us. It is. Jesus did not say, and you'll have enough faith and live the worry-free life. He didn't say that. That's why the Bible tells us so many times, the most oftenly repeated command in the Bible is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because we're afraid. (laughs) Because this life is scary. There is stuff in this life that is not good. And we are afraid of what's going to happen to us. That's real. That's legitimate. However, the way we choose to respond, the way that we choose to engage or not engage, makes all the difference when it comes to feeling like we are on the winning side. So first, let's give ourselves some grace and recognize that worry comes from uncertainty. We live in a really uncertain world. We just do. And worry is a method by which we try to find certainty in our circumstances. We try to be okay with what can be known in the unknown. Unfortunately, though, worry becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in the fact that we are looking for certainty in a world where there's a lot of bad around us. So we're gathering information about all this badness that's around us, and then we're planning how we're going to get by in future badness, right? So the world is bad. I can see bad. Then I see more bad. So then I try to figure out how to, to get 
myself situated in that and then I see more bad and then I figure out how I'm going to manage that and then I imagine more bad and it's just bad, 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 right? And before you know it, you have built a life around bad. You have made choices around bad. All you see is bad. And what can be so sneaky about this is the fact that it looks like or maybe even feels like, no, I am just being vigilant. I'm being a planner. I'm being prepared. I don't want to be caught off guard. So I am making sure that that doesn't happen to me. But the issue is when we look at this being our strategy, when we look at I'm going to, you know, make a plan and I'm going to figure this all out and I'm going to rely on what I can see and understand and my abilities and all those sorts of things, we're actually falling for the enemy's trap. The enemy knows how powerful you could be, how much peace you could have if you recognized the presence of God in your life and in every circumstance that you go through. And so what he has us doing is planning and preparing for a life that does not have the reality of the power and presence of God in it. This is how Satan takes a human tendency, a human capability even, you know, where being a planner and being a preparer is a good thing, right? God gave you those capabilities, but he then manipulates us and lies to us in ways that have us believing that is all we have. That is all we have. My ability to plan and prepare and see all these things, that is all I have. When it comes to the future and the resources that I'll need and all that kind of stuff, all I have is what I have. And it's not true. He gets us thinking we need to live these lives where it's all up to us. Maybe God will intervene. Maybe he won't. But really, even for me to be a good Christian and a good steward is for me to take on everything that I am supposed to take on on my own because God is going to need to take care of weaker people. God, I, I don't want him to worry about me. <laughs> worry. <laughs> I don't want God to worry about me. But none of this is true at all. So he gets us planning and preparing and building a life around the absence of the presence of God and his care and his power where he is not involved. And my friends, that is scary. The thought of that is scary. So of course, that would produce more worry because that is a horrifying thought. What really ended up changing the game for me with all of this was the recognition that the emotion of being afraid was going to happen, but what I did with it was up to me. That where I was prone to perform or overthink or plan or prep or what any of the things that we've talked about, where I was prone to that, I didn't have to choose that. It seemed like such an automatic process and it seemed, like I said, just to be kind of the way I was wired, but it, in truth, it was not. Now, the realization, though, that there was another side and how to actually choose it was a 15-year process. 15 years. What I'm about to tell you, I discovered over the course of 15 years. It didn't come to me like in a download and a lightning bolt moment. This has been a long, long, long journey for me. But the fact of it is there is another side we can choose. When we think of anxiety only as a disorder, then we think of it as something like is wrong with me and that I need to fix it or is inherent to me and is just part of the way that I live life. But when we think of it as a war, 
like I've been talking about, then we can recognize that there are two sides that what I have been choosing is actually the opposite side. It's the side that's against me and it's not working. And then daring to imagine, what does it look like then for me to choose the other side? What does that even look like? So even just coming to that realization, that was like where like 90% of my time got spent was shifting the mind from thinking this is something that's wrong with me and reorienting it to, no, I'm a human living in very uncertain circumstances and I'm just choosing the wrong strategy. I'm choosing the losing side. So I say all that to say, I'm not saying that this is going to be 15 years for you, but (laughs) basically that's the holdup is when we can't even understand the enemy we're fighting. But then once we do, it is game on. (laughs) You know, and this all really started small for me. At the very beginning, I was a lot younger. You know, I was was in my mid-20s really. And it was just, I was just starting to really grow and embrace my faith. And it was just like, God, I, I can't do life holding on to all this. So I'm just going to have to train my brain that when I feel worried about something, I'm just going to give it to you. And that worked for a little while, but then the stakes got higher. You know, I had kids. I was traveling for work. There were just way more things to worry about. (laughs) And they were bigger things with greater consequences. And then I got divorced. And so any little performance type things that I might have still been able to lean into were gone. You know, I did not have the things to externally cope with or externally medicate with anymore, and yet was facing the reality of massive uncertainty. And regardless of the circumstances, you know, perhaps you have found that once you have actually started to try to tackle this anxiety, it gets worse, you know, whether it's because of circumstances or whether just the fact that what you used to lean into is gone now. So you are so aware of all of the times that you ran to those other coping things because you're not using them anymore. You know, and so when you're trying to pray through it and you're trying to run to the Lord and you're trying to do the deep breathing and stuff like that, you're just like, oh my goodness, is this ever going to stop? But again, if we think about this as a war, the enemy does not let go. He does not let go, at least without a fight. And so in a time like this, we have to double down. Okay, this one is for all my overthinkers out there. I used to be absolutely debilitated by intrusive thoughts. Everything from constant worry to just dread of the future, I couldn't make it stop. If you're there right now, I have developed a free downloadable guide to help you get your mind back. It's called Overthinking, Get Out of Your Head and On With Your Life. And you can download it for free right now at UncommonValor.co. So if we think back to what I mentioned before about anxiety being this cycle of badness, where we're looking for bad, we're seeing bad, we're prepping for bad, we're living with bad, that there must then be a counterpoint to that. And it was right around the time of my 40th birthday where a mentor said to me, 40 is a huge, significant number. You should be journaling right now like you never have before. And to be honest, I kind of blew it off. (laughs) You know, this was something that I had journaled most of my life. And while I do believe that there is value in journaling, especially for figuring out like what is bothering me and how do I get this out of my head and into a realm where I can understand it and deal with it. But there comes a point where it is only so productive. 
there comes a point where I was rehearsing, for example, the things that I was worried about. I was just chronically like digging this stuff out and I would feel fine for a little while, but it didn't really do a whole lot. But what she said really arrested me. She said, I want you to journal everything you see God doing. She said, you should be journaling where you see answered prayer. You should be journaling scripture verses that stand out to you. You should be journaling everything that you see God doing. And so, interestingly enough, I had just seen a verse in Deuteronomy relating to the 40 years of wandering in the desert that I thought, hmm, that's a pretty good place to start. (laughs) So I got a new journal and I began to journal all of those things that I saw God doing. I started journaling my prayers. I started journaling where I saw him moving in those prayers. I started noting the things that I did see God doing, even seeing how things I began to start walking in, he had prepped for me years and years and years before, where I could see that past faithfulness being played out in the present day of my life. You know, and this is really what the Bible in some part is for us. It is a chronicle of God's faithfulness. But if that is not even enough for us, we have the ability to stop and examine and notate and reflect on where we see God moving and doing those things in our lives in the present day. And it becomes our own chronicle and our own testimony of where he is not leaving us by ourselves like the enemy wants us to think. He is not distant. He is not disengaged. He is not withholding. He is still speaking and moving in our everyday lives. So as I began this practice, I could not journal fast enough. I'd have to notate stuff in my phone and then carry it over to my paper journal. It's just the way I roll. (laughs) But I would have to spend time writing down what I had cataloged as I was going through my day. And I was filling journals because of all of the things I was seeing. He was everywhere. And this was where the reality of that war in my mind became so obvious, so obvious. That where I now had a written record, I had evidence of where God had been in my story and where he was presently, I could then compare that to the thoughts that I was thinking or the worries that I would have or the lies that the enemy would hiss into my mind and start to recognize that none of that's true. I have a written record that proves that none of this is true. I have a written record that shows that God has been with me. And he's been organizing and orchestrating things for me in the past. He's been walking with me. He's been helping me to avoid things that I never even realized, that things that I thought were harm were actually his hand. And so armed with this new narrative of where God has been, not only in my present, but in my past, I'm able to look now at the future and say confidently, there is not a future reality that does not have God in it. There is not a reality where I will be on my own. There is not a reality where I will be unsupported. There's not a reality where I'm not going to have what I need. There's not. There is just not. He got me this far. He's not going to stop now. That's not who he is. And so being able to ground ourselves more and more and more in this reality on a daily basis is how we then train our minds to choose the other side. When you think of the word stronghold, we tend to think of 2 Corinthians 10.4, where it talks about that the weapons of our warfare 
are powerful for pulling down strongholds, pulling down these thoughts and thought processes that go against the way that God would have us think about things. That in places like Psalm 9 and Psalm 91, we see a similar Hebrew equivalent word to stronghold in the New Testament being used to describe God himself. And that we then are choosing which stronghold that we want our minds to come under, that we are choosing which tower where we want to find protection. And is it going to be in the stronghold of trying to figure out things in our human strength and imagine a life where we're going to be able to get by without God? Or are we going to be able to imagine a future that's just as uncertain, but has the certainty of the presence and the care and the nurturance of the God who has always been there? And I'll tell you what, this is a lifelong process. So as much as I said, oh, it was 15 years, you know, to getting to this point, God still is showing me places where I am in the wrong tower. I am still imprisoned to self-reliant thinking and how much he wants to lovingly challenge me on that because there is something better for me. And this is a wrestle, right? Because finding certainty in the bad is a whole lot easier. It is a lot easier. There's evidence of bad all around us, but we will find what we focus on. And that is why I've created a prayer journal that we've just released. That's why we need to take time and use resources to help us retrain our minds because we will find whatever we focus on. And there is certainty in the good. But in this world where there is so much bad, we have to train our minds to see it. And I know that putting your weight into that feels so risky. It feels like, well, maybe that was true for her, but probably not for me, you know. And the thing I want you to know, though, is that sense of risk is part of the process. And you're going to be able to get past it. And you're going to be able to see that this is true for you too. This is what God has for all of his children. This is how we are able to live the life more abundant that Jesus says he came to give us. John 10, 10, he says that the thief came to steal and kill and destroy. And I know that you know that that's what worry feels like. Jesus says, I came to give them life and give it abundantly. And this is how you're able to get there. He's got a bigger, bolder life for you. He wants you to be free. It is for freedom that you have been set free. And I know that even the smallest step feels like a humongous leap of faith. But I want you to know you are not leaping into the darkness. You're leaping into the arms of Jesus. Thanks for being with me for this episode today. I hope you'll come back again. And in the meantime, you can follow me over on social media and find out about our resources and services over at uncommonvalor.co. 